I'm going to try to be like hard log off at like six o'clock or like six o five today just because they're doing office hours before class and I want to make sure I have everything set up. Oh, yeah, for sure. We're going to. But I don't think that should be much of an issue. So. We're going to get you going so that you can get to the office and do the hours. And, mm-hmm. uh, I also am a big fan of Tim Heidecker. Yeah, Tim Heidecker's the shit. And Greg Turkington, I like that guy too. And when they have Vic Berger on, whoo, it's a party then. Woo, tell me about it. <laughs> this I joke love only, only works if you've ever listened to Tim Heidecker's podcast, which is called Office Hours. <laughs> Office Hours. I didn't even oh, find okay. out about it because of Tim Heidecker. I found out about it because I love Vic Berger so much. <laughs> He's so good. The video, the, the video he did of Tom Cruise <laughs> talking about just how much he loves movies. I've been, been so lucky to do movies my whole life and get to promote them on my birthday, which is <laughs> just one of the strangest sentences I've ever heard somebody say. He's a strange man. Yeah. Wow. Are there any other podcasts y'all want to plug? Uh, if you want to listen to a comedy podcast that is actually funny and isn't just people uh, being edgy for laughs, check out Quarators, a show where <laughs> I love two John guys go on Quora with a guest. <laughs> oh. Love oh, that there, show. There you go. Uh, uh, listen you to also, Beep Beep Lettuce. Listen yeah, to you can, check out, <laughs> you can check out our podcast, the one listen. you're listening to right now, which is called... I should introduce the show. Uh, my name is John. I'm Dan. And I'm Lena. And we're an entirely listener-supported labor podcast, although we do tell jokes sometimes. Uh, we have a Patreon if you want to support us and get access to our bonus episodes, patreon.com slash workstoppage. Hop in the Discord if you're not in there already. It's a great place to hang out. If you want stickers, message us on Patreon and we will get them to you. And if you want to help the show a little bit more, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think it will help. Yep. Also, check out the reading group. It happens on Tuesdays. Seven o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, something like that, Eastern time. Uh, you know, if you're in the Discord, you can We're really click make on the it re- easy for folks. The, yeah, it's the reading group channel. It's all the information's in there. But yeah, so you know, hopping right into it, folks. We've got a a very happy follow up from a story we covered a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, we had been discussing how there a, was a union drive that was launched at Barbancino Pizzeria in Brooklyn. Uh, which was aimed at becoming the very first union pizza shop in New York City, which I will say, while we do know how difficult it has been traditionally to organize in the restaurant industry, I am a little surprised there wasn't at least like one union pizza shop in New York, just purely mm-hmm. from law of large numbers, since there's, I, I would assume, about 7,000 pizza places in yeah. New York. Well, and law of large numbers, you'll remember, that's actually a pun about this place because it was the pizza factory, I believe, is the way that they described it. it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. That, yeah, that was the way workers described the incredibly difficult pace of work that they were put under. And that pace of work seems to have been very inspirational, at least as far as getting workers on board with the idea of unionization, because last week we got the election results and it was a unanimous victory 
for the workers at Barbancino Pizzeria who are now officially members of Workers United, you know, joining all of the good folks at Starbucks Workers United in this, you know, broader SEIU-affiliated uh, organization. And so uh, workers had asked for voluntary recognition back in May, uh, which they didn't get, but again, since they had unanimous support, they were basically just waiting. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's got to be frustrating. Uh, I mean, I, I know what it's like to wait just to have an election and then, you know, she's anyway. Uh, we do have a uh, quote here from Mike Kemet, who a bartender at the restaurant who told The New York Times, quote, we're going for the best deal we can get for every issue across the board, end quote. And I'm like, hell yeah. I love that that attitude. Workers plan to fight for better starting wages, health care, consistent scheduling, just cause protections and more say in how the restaurant runs yeah and and so like you know even though like look it's one pizza shop in one city but it's also an example that like yes if you work at a pizza shop or any other restaurant Mm -hmm. that no matter what your boss says oh i can hire and fire anybody blah 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 doesn't matter if the workers stand together you can organize anywhere that doesn't mean it's going to be easy But the fact that it's possible, I think, is so important to show folks because, you know, when there's there's a huge difference, you know, if you go to talk to somebody who's a restaurant worker and they or just one of your friends who may be a restaurant worker and they tell you how shitty it is, it's a lot harder to tell somebody you should form a union at your workplace if there's no other examples that you can show them. And right. so the yeah, fact that huge. you have this win here, I think, is is really huge for growing the movement in not just New York City, but across the country. Yeah, one small shop can start a pizza fire. Wait, <laughs> one small pizza can start a prairie union. I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> well, while John figures that out, we're going to move to our next story where we follow up on the ILWU Canada strike where the, uh, they've been on strike since July 1st and uh, their negotiations had mostly broken down and they're, they're striking at like the port of Vancouver, which is one of Canada's busiest ports. And I mean, there's been billions of dollars of trade that have been halted by this. Uh, they did get to a TA, but then the workers resoundingly shot it down on July 28th. And... Uh, after that, they obviously have been bargaining for 24 hours a day, basically, because at 2 a.m. last night, they ended up with another TA, and we are going to have to see how the membership feels about it, because uh, looking at all of their press, there was not a ton of information, just a bunch of like like reacts and stuff like that. Oh, we did hear from the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin <laughs> Trudeau, who got real pissy with the union, calling their rejection of the contract, quote, unacceptable which is which is so fucking canadian (laughs) well i also love though because like that's such a it's such a telling statement because you know there's like there's that reputation of like oh canada yeah you know it's a settler colony but it's like not as bad as the united states which is true in some ways but then also you know you have their their president essentially their president whatever but like coming out and being like yeah those workers voted the wrong way go back and vote the right way (laughs) because <laughs> like, that's what's that's what's saying that it, that's what's saying voting down a ta is unacceptable well, but you know, that's Justin what you're saying Trudeau was just really disappointed <laughs> well, and, and also <laughs> it, it's such a stupid choice of words because you know what's unacceptable the fucking ta they didn't <laughs> accept right <laughs> like very clear where the decision was made here <laughs> right exactly and so yeah and and i will say to your point though lena it is one of the things that has made uh 
reporting on this strike very difficult. And this is not a criticism of the ILWU, but the ILWU very much seems to keep the communications about their strikes in-house. I am very confident they are communicating with their membership about what's going on, but a lot of that doesn't seem to leak out, which is fine. They don't owe us like that information, but it has made reporting on the strike a little difficult. But one thing that, you know, the union has made very clear in this process is that, you know, when the government demands they take a TA to the membership, they'll take it to the membership, but they're not going to fucking lie about it or sugarcoat it or anything. They're going to take it to the membership and see what they want to do. And if the membership doesn't like the contract they're not going to try and force it on they'll be like all right fine back to the picket line (laughs) yeah actually i mean the statement itself was like three sentences long we've reached another ta the members will vote on it there was no (laughs) recommendation or anything like that that should be how those kind of announcements are though i mean it sucks when they try to be like this is the best ta and we encourage our members blah 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 just like let 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 your membership read it do their own thing you don't need to sign like warm regards union members (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i don't know i i think like it depends. I think it depends on the situation because sure. I think there's times, you know, if a if a negotiating team has genuinely, like, you know, put together an incredible deal, I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to fault them for for touting it, but <laughs> but I know what you mean. You never want to be in that position where you know you you like jump the gun and like and like mm-hmm. try and get ahead of the giving the rank and file the chance to have their say, which is ultimately the only one that matters. Yeah, well, I'm just saying if the bargaining committee comes out and is dancing around and is like, this TA is a slam dunk, it better be a fucking slam dunk. That's (laughs) all I'm saying. (laughs) And I think that, I mean, that critique is is well-founded because we look at history of like, you know, the old admin caucus of the UAW used to like Mm -hmm. really talk about these great contracts that were filled with concessions and things like that, which were, which kind of sucks. So avoiding that's good. But anyway, things Things that that also also suck. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yellow freight. Uh, or formerly Yellow Freight, now nothing. Because uh, last week we discussed that how we came very close to a nationwide strike by the 20,000 Teamster drivers at Yellow Freight, one of the country's largest less than truckload freight companies, which is a designator for like size of trailers. But, um, well, <laughs> it turns out there will never be a strike at Yellow because Yellow is shutting down. Um, I mean, I guess this gets into why Yellow was unable to make the $50 million payment that they owed to the central state's pension fund. But I mean, it's certainly not good news. Uh, on Friday, the, the 28th, the company, which has been struggling financially for a while, uh, announced that they would be ceasing all operations nationwide and began laying off their staff ahead of a bankruptcy filing this week. And really, you know, this, like, look, I don't have any sympathy for the owners of the companies who clearly drove the the company into the ground. And also are going to loot the, loot the company for parts, you know, as it's on its way out the door. Oh, for sure. But it is a, I mean, it sucks for the 30,000 workers at Yellow Freight who are now going to have to go find another job. And, you know, the Teamsters have at least their union to, to, to lean on to help find other union jobs in freight. But I really do think like a lot of what this exemplifies is just the whole industry of like freight hauling since the deregulation of the industry in the 1980s. Like uh, since that happened, we have seen near continuous collapses of major trucking firms because the state got rid of anything to actually regulate them to make sure that they're trucking things safely, that they're actually 
making it so that, you know, their workers don't fall asleep because they're overworked and, and, and get injured. There's no, no regulations whatsoever to protect drivers, to make sure that they're paid, you know, a, a minimum wage and get a certain number of benefits, especially with the owner operator model that so many of these places have defaulted to, which just throws all that back on the worker. And so we've ended up in a situation where you have all of these little freight companies competing against each other and some big ones with essentially no technological innovation to be made, really. Good trucking kind of just is what it is at this point. And so everything is about driving down wages. And so all of the burden of competition is borne on the workers. And so you just have all of these little companies as a race to the bottom, destroying each other consistently. And that's fine for the bosses because they just, you know, like you said, Lena, they loot it and they come, they go somewhere else and they set up a new trucking firm and try the same thing. And when that goes bust, they're also fine, but the workers get fucked over every time. And it's just like, this is just one of those situations where it's like, the capitalist system does not work in this yeah. industry. I mean, it doesn't work more broadly, but you know, this one is screaming for a state regulated monopoly. We were honestly, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. And I mean, if we have Patreon listeners, in fact, even people who just listened to the unlocked episode, because I think we think we unlocked the first episode of the Unions and the Mob Reputation versus Reality series, where we actually talk about the early history of trucking and the Teamsters. And that what you're describing there is very similar, just on a more like on, on a slightly smaller scale and, and, a, and a lot faster with all of these trucking firms like competing each other out of existence. Then those people disappear with a couple hundred thousand dollars or whatever and then pop up somewhere else. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Yellow has been, has been in a long line of companies exactly like that because, again, this company is folding despite the fact that just a couple of years ago, they accepted a $700 million loan from the government. And two years later, they have paid an entire $230 on the principle of that loan. That's when I first read that million. figure, I thought it was $230 million. Yeah. No. And I had to read it three times to be like, oh, it's a three-digit number. Mm -hmm. Yep, and that has left the company in $1.5 billion in debt. And so, you know, obviously, uh, the mismanagement of the company combined with the deregulation of the industry has, you know, sealed the fate of Yellow, unfortunately. Although the ultimate fate of the company is also very weird because of the fact that so much of that debt is owed to the government. It does mean that the government, I think, owns like 30% of the firm's assets. So Just buy the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, I mean, even the social democratic response be like, okay, fine, we are going to take control of this company mm -hmm. and we'll just set up a board of like the senior workers here who know how this company operates and they'll run the management and you know we'll regulate it like any other public enterprise but of course they're not going to fucking do that no they'll sell their 30 percent to jeff bezos or some other yeah. warehouse so, ass motherfucker so ultimately you know this sucks <laughs> like this is, you have 20,000 Teamster workers, 30,000 workers total, uh, like losing their jobs at this company that was around for 80 years. And then a combination of, you know, neoliberal uh, dysregulation of the industry and, and just, you know, standard bourgeois mismanagement and looting has now completely destroyed it. And now all 30,000 of these folks are going to have to find new work. So example number 1 billion this week that you will hear about how capitalism does not work. <laughs> 30,000 workers. I'm, that's like an entire city of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah it, it is. Well, 
In our next story, we're going to be talking about the gig industry and DoorDash more specifically, where the NLRB had issued, I guess, a number of complaints, or at least a a complaint covering a number of of situations. I mean, as we know, all monopolistic corporations are criminal enterprises, but gig companies in uh, particular are a special brand of bad news. Two weeks ago, the NLRB filed a complaint in court against DoorDash calling the company out for repeated illegal interference in workers' organizing. As reported by Josh Idelson of Bloomberg, the complaint alleges that DoorDash managers in Arizona threatened workers for organizing, told them it was illegal to discuss their pay and conditions outside of work, illegally surveilled, yeah, I know, right? Illegally surveilled and interrogated workers about their organizing, also super illegal, mm-hmm. and ultimately illegally fired one worker for forming an organization. Like that's just that's like that's like the basics. Uh, mm-hmm. The complaint asks an administrative law judge to intervene and demand the company stop breaking the law. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> that's what, John. Can you say the line? Oh yeah, I I love to be admonished about breaking the law. So next time I go steal a piece of fruit from the supermarket, I can't wait for an administrative law judge to politely ask <laughs> me to not do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I know exactly. It's like. Th- it's the the thing that's so weird about reporting on these court case stories is this is like, well, I'm glad that DoorDash is being called out. Like that's mm-hmm. good. I'd rather that happen than not. But it is also becomes hard to get excited about because as we've seen with Starbucks over and over again, we know what the limits of what an administrative law judge can do are and they are not likely to make DoorDash change their ways. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, and it's a good, you know, we can't rely on them really in any capacity, but it's a good thing we can rely on DoorDash. Oh, wait, actually, they denied <laughs> all wrongdoing, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> claiming to be totally unaware of any employee union uh, or any kind of organizing and claims that they fired the worker for, quote unquote, repeated insubordination, which I, even just hearing that excuse, I find it impossible to believe that that's not just double speak for organizing activity. Yeah. That like it's concerted activity if you're speaking on behalf of your fellow workers in mm-hmm. the situation in an organizing like like if they're complaining about the work conditions because they're like, "Hey, what the hell?" I mean, that's considered protected activity now. There is a very interesting nuance in there, so don't just use that out of context as a reason to just tell your boss to fuck off. But you know, if you do it right, you technically can. I yeah. mean, well, <laughs> saying you fired a worker for insubordination is the like individual version of we closed the store for business reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you just made up a lie so vague that it's nearly impossible to fact check. Here's and the so- thing about insubordination, though, is it's not really that vague. Like if they had said like attendance or work quality or something, mm. which plenty of companies lie and do, it still would have been an obvious lie. But it wouldn't have been a lie that's just a euphemism for what they really did, which is fire <laughs> the person for organizing. Right, right. Yeah, also, no, I know. This is a gig worker job. How much can you be insubordinate? Like you're you're yeah, that's you're, true. you're like dealing with an app. That's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah, cuz like how many people with DoorDash do most DoorDash workers even interact with? Like one, two? Yeah. Like that are human beings that aren't just, you know, a faceless algorithm. Yeah, I mean it's ridiculous and 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 this is unfortunately, you know, of course, not 
the first rodeo for breaking labor law for DoorDash, since that's really what their entire business model is based on. Uh, in, in, in 2021, they were willing to shell out $100 million in a settlement in a lawsuit that was filed against them for misclassifying workers as independent contractors. And they were willing to spend that much money to keep that from going to court. Because obviously, if it had gone to court and they had gotten a jury made up of reasonable people, it would have been incredibly obvious to those people that it's like, well, these, these people aren't independent contractors. They work for DoorDash. Like, DoorDash controls their salary. They control their routes. They control which jobs they get. They control everything. They work for DoorDash. And right. they would lose that court, which would completely destroy their entire business model, which is another one of these things. It's like the fact that companies in our system can pay sums of money to avoid the law acknowledging that what they are doing is illegal. <laughs> Like, that's another big red flag. And again, not the cool kind. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is it. You're like you're saying, it's, it's basically like the sole quote unquote innovation is just subverting labor law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so dumb. And, and so, like, I'm glad that the judge, you know, sued the company or that the, the, the NLRB filed a complaint asking an administrative law judge to uh, rule against uh, DoorDash. But unfortunately, there really aren't a lot of work of options there for real impactful punishment. But I do think it's important to point this stuff out really more to highlight like a the num- just the rampant labor violations by these gig companies, but also to highlight organizations like Los Deliveristas Unidos in New York City, which organize specifically gig workers and have won things like minimum wages and more protections for workers that actually can, these actual workers' organizations of gig workers that actually can make a difference. And that, like, the really uh, where I think the utility of these cases are for labor organizers are is not for, like, look, the, the, the law will eventually catch up to us and help us because it won't. But to point out that, like, these problems are not just affecting you, individual gig worker, who may not deal with many other folks who work for that same company. It's This is a problem of the whole industry, and the only way that it's going to be fixed is by workers coming together and fighting to make them fix it. And so that's, I think, the the, the message I always want to get across when we talk about this sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, so I guess we can move to our next story at this point and talk about how uh, the Rutgers Medical School is asking students to scab on striking nurses. Uh, You're telling me that these people who are going in for an education and are kind of held to some sort of standard to make sure that they're, you know, getting the degrees that will kind of base their entire future careers and the people who decide that uh, those people are allowed to continue you know, doing this education and this program are saying, Hey, go, go scab these fucking jobs. Yeah, basically. Um, so, uh, this is actually a story that we was sent to us actually directly from one of our listeners. Uh, so shout out to our listener who sent the story in. We really appreciate that. Um, because there has not been a ton of reporting on this. So, There has been some, but this is yet another case of academic administrators attempting to undermine worker solidarity despite nominally that not being their job. Um, Although we know realistically that's exactly their job. But uh, so 
what this all stems from is there are 1,500 nurses at the Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital on the Rutgers campus in New Brunswick, New Jersey. And they've been working without a contract for a month since theirs expired at the end of June. Uh, and those workers are unionized with the United Steel Workers, Local 4-200. And due to the deadlock with the employers on their negotiations, the nurses have voted overwhelmingly in favor of authorizing a strike by 96%. And as with basically every nursing strike we have ever covered on this show, I will give our listeners one guess as to what the primary issue that these these nurses are fighting for is. Is it uh, understaffing? Yes, you are correct. It's safe staffing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to assume the listeners got it because it's a pretty easy one. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, this is, you know, much like every other company in our our nightmare for-profit supposed healthcare system, Rutgers and by extension, the Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital uh, has refused to hire sufficient full-time nurses to provide the care that patients need. And the nurses are also, in addition to fighting for safe staffing, fighting against soaring health insurance costs, which have rapidly become unaffordable for nurses alongside rampant inflation, especially with Rutgers not having increased funding for the workers' health insurance in four years. And so that strike is scheduled for this Friday, uh, August 4th. And this is where the medical students come in. The hospital administration has been gearing up for this strike, not to, you know, resolve it, agree that they need to hire more people so that they can provide proper care for all of the patients. Uh, No, that would make sense. Uh, No, they've been prepping to break the strike. Uh, They've already tried to intimidate the union by basically announcing ahead of time that they plan to hire scab travel nurses as long-term replacements. And then additionally, as our listener wrote in to report, uh, the hospital plans to and has been attempting to try to convince medical students at Rutgers to work as scab replacements as well. Essentially getting these students to work as scabs to break the strike because they're a captive workforce dependent on the college for their degrees. And now they are technically only calling for volunteers so don't want to libel them. They are not forcing the students to scab. But the obvious implication is that favor on the future of the student's education will be placed on those who choose to accept this voluntary assignment and that those who don't, you know, may not be looked on the same way. And- yeah, they've even tried to, like, really work hard to sweeten the deal for these students as well. Uh, and And... Primarily, they started by justifying their own kind of position. So they asked the medical students, quote, to assist in the transition from the full-time nurses to the replacement nurses, end quote, which sounds so innocuous. And then to make it... helping with the transition. You're just being a helpful little friendo. And then to make it a little bit sweeter, they also provided, uh, offered to provide excused absences from required clinical work for those who volunteered to scab, which concerns me because that means they're not getting, this is affecting their quality of education mm-hmm. as well, which is not good for their future patients. So this is just a way to kind of fuck everybody for the uh, ease of the administration. And then the sickest part is when in a prepared statement, hospital administration said hiring replacement nurses for an extended period of time ensures continuity of care. The contingency plan comes at great cost, but is the right thing to do for our patients. You know what else is a great cost, but is the right thing to do for your patients just give in to the nurse's (laughs) demands (laughs) yeah 
this is that statement just pissed me off so much. The contingency plan comes at great cost, but it's the right thing to do for our patients. Fuck you. You yeah. don't care about your patients. If you cared about your patients, you would just, as you said, John, do what the nurses are telling you to do. They care about the patients to the point that they are willing to strike and risk their own livelihoods, not for a raise, which they, I'm sure, deserve, mm-hmm. but for safe staffing, for more coworkers, so that the patients get the care that they need, which is solved by doing that, not by hiring travel nurses as scabs who don't know the facility, who don't know the area, who don't know any of the systems in the hospital. It's this whole thing. You are spending more money to break the strike because you hate organized labor and the idea that the workers will have any say in the workplace than yeah. to just spend the money to hire more nurses to meet the needs. It's it's so fucked up. And you are not offering continuity of care. That's a no. fucking lie. Continuity of care comes from receiving consistent care from the same medical professionals right. for an extended period of time. That's what that is. That's mm-hmm. consistency and continuity. Yeah, if, if you have a, if you cycle through four different people who have never treated you and you have to explain everything to them each time, that's not a continuity. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever gotten a new doctor? It's a fucking nightmare. Now imagine that's not just the doctor, but that's all the support professionals and it's happening like every couple of days. Yeah. 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 It's ridiculous. Well, and after news of the school asking medical students to scab was reported by Daniel Hahn at Politico, the school issued a statement claiming that the medical students would merely be electing to assist the hospital, quote, during the initial transition, end quote, and would not directly replace nurses. Obviously a meaningless distinction as the only reason for any of this disruption is because the administration refuses to provide safe staffing in the first place, like we were Mm -hmm. just saying. And also, like, I love the framing that they elect to do this. They are electing to assist. There's nothing I love better than to wake up in the morning and elect to, to do something. Tell you what, <laughs> when there are no, there's no boundaries on my, my potential in this life and everything I do, I fucking chose to do that. Hundred fucking percent. I elected a president once. He didn't win, but I elected his ass. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, AAUP, BHS, New Jersey, and uh, the Biomedical and Health Sciences Wing of the Faculty Union at Rutgers issued a statement from its president, Dr. Catherine Monteleone, who said, quote, we find this anti-union behavior abhorrent and unfortunate. We stand in solidarity with the RWJUH nurse colleagues Medical students certainly should not be exploited in order to intervene in labor disputes outside of Rutgers. The only way we can change these health systems and those who run them is to make them listen to those who actually treat patients. As such, we need to stick together, end quote. Wow. Oh, my God. Could you imagine that? The people who actually do the work might have some idea about how the work ought to be done. Mind-blowing stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's always like, that's the thing. They always portray workplace democracy as so radical, but that's functionally all it is, is it's, should the people who do this, who know what's going on, should they be in charge? Probably. (laughs) Like, that's basically the proposition there. We keep saying Mm -hmm. this. (laughs) But anyways, I mean, just to wrap this up, like, this is fucked. Uh, Schools should not be asking students to scab. 
in any context whatsoever. Uh, and this fucking sucks. And medical students, I encourage you to stand with the striking workers, much like the, uh, you know, Dr. Monteleone there recommended because yeah, this is some bullshit. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, we do have to talk about the big news this past week. We've been hyping up this potential strike for mo- probably months now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems at this point that uh, there's a chance it might be averted, the one at UPS, because they have actually reached a tentative agreement. That doesn't mean that the strike isn't going to happen, but for the moment, we are going to be going over the actual tentative agreement. And I know that everybody's very excited for this, uh, considering how much the practice pickets and all of the other actions creating more rank-and-file democracy with the union facilitated the company giving in on many, many major points. Yeah, so, uh, you know, obviously this is the big story this week. Uh, the the TA at UPS, uh, you know, that was... Uh, reached on Tuesday on the 25th, less than a week before the August 1st contract deadline. And so now we're in a three-week period where workers are going to review the TA and vote on it. But so uh, we're going to run down some of the big points of the proposed new five-year contract. Uh, And I just, I really appreciate the labor notes putting together a really good primer article that really goes through a lot of the key points and summarizes them. That was very, very helpful. Um, so, because, you know, of course, it's a big agreement because it covers 350,000 workers. A lot of details in there. A lot of legalese. Wasn't um, it, I think it was just the uh, the actual, like, wording on what changed, not anything that didn't change that was, like, 47 pages long. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of stuff. So, this proposed deal, which the Teamsters say represents a transfer of $30 billion of the profits produced by workers back into their pockets, contains like a lot of really genuinely historic wins. Um, And just to run down some of those, I mean, the first, some of these we've covered a little bit because they were agreements that were reached earlier in the negotiations, but like none of that's final until a contract is signed. So it's all, it's all in here. So just to start right off, of course, one of the most contentious issues that was right out the gate, one of the big things that the Teamsters wanted to do was get rid of the second tier of package car drivers because the previous contract back in 2018 had created what is called a 22.4 hybrid driver position who's basically an is classed as an in-between they're like oh sometimes they'll do inside work sometimes they'll be a driver but effectively largely what the company has used that position to do is to have workers doing full-time package car driving work while paying them substantially less money. So this deal will completely eliminate that, and all current 22.4 drivers will be reclassified, uh, you know, assuming that this, if this contract were to go through, then they would immediately become regular package car drivers with all of the benefits and pay that that position comes along with. So that was one of the biggest things that workers were fighting for and was also one of the you know early things that was announced as a win. Well, and one of the things that's cool, if you actually look at the document, you like go through, and it's like, oh, this change, this was crossed out. This, it's actually just like a huge section of just strikeout text. It's <laughs> huge, just like the whole thing is just gone. Yeah, it's like, all right, okay, so last contract, we made up all this bullshit. So just throw away all this bullshit. <laughs> uh, very simple. And so the next one, big obvious one, raises that's gonna come that's gonna be a big issue in any uh contract but of course three hundred fifty thousand ups teamsters these are these are it's a lot of jobs and 
and you know we need union jobs to pay well. And so all current UPS workers will receive an average $7.50 an hour raise across the length of the five-year deal. Now that, it's an average. So there's a lot of different classifications. We can't run down, you know, the, the, what every single person is going to make. And we'll get into why there's so many differentials actually in a couple of these items, but on average, uh, all workers are going to risk like part-time and full-time will receive an average raise of $7 and 50 cents over the length of the five-year deal. Uh, that for package car drivers represents a new top wage for senior drivers of $49 an hour by the end of the deal, which for a position which does not require a college degree and does not require a trade certification, I don't know of any job that like working class job that pays that much, which is great. We need more union jobs that don't require a college degree, that don't require uh, an expensive trade certification, although trade certifications are good and thankfully unions help you get them. But like this is, there should be jobs like this, more jobs where somebody who's been working a a difficult job for a long time, has accumulated a lot of experience, can make $100,000 a year, which is basically what that is. And so like that is a big win. Now, in addition, part-timers will also get a raise. And that's, the part-time raises are a one of the more con- controversial issues, and so we're going to get into that a little later. But the 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 gist of the deal, because the actual rates are going to vary around the country, because there's these things called market rate adjustments, and we'll get into those. But right now, the base pay rate in the existing Teamsters contract has a minute has a starting wage for part-timers of fifteen dollars and fifty cents. That in this deal will be raised to twenty one dollars immediately and will be raised to $23 as the starting wage for part-timers by the end of the contract. Um, we'll get more into all the details of the part-time stuff because there is some controversy there, but the, the basic points there are you're going from a base starting pay of fifteen fifty to 21 which that's a pretty big jump, <laughs> and to 23 by the end of the contract. So, like, I, I will just say, by comparison... Because I I've been reading uh, a book about the history of the the transition from the Hoffa era of the Teamsters to the Ron Carey era, <laughs> and one of the contracts that was signed in the '80s only uh, provided workers a two percent raise, which uh, also tells you how bad some of the contracts that were signed back then were. Um, but anyway, so seven dollars and fifty cents average raise for workers varies a lot depending on how long you've been there and where you are, but that's the average. Uh, in comparison, and this was something that I think is 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 important, and, and Labor Notes pointed this out, I think, for, because this, get, I think, gives important context on the money. UBS workers last gained $7.50 as an average increase over the last 40 years. This will provide that same raise in five years. So that's I think your comparison for how long it's taken raises to wages to go up 750 and and how much it will in this contract. I'm sorry that that was very confusing and long-winded, but it's 350,000 workers and there's a lot of different gradations. Um we're going to get more into the wage numbers because that is that is one of the the areas people have brought up. But next win in this contract, AC in all package cars. So, 
we mentioned this one because the, the part of this agreement was one of the earlier ones that was made early in the negotiations. All new package cars from 2024 going forward will have AC installed. And, and uh, according to the Labor Notes article, based on the current rates of vehicle attrition and the agreement as part of the TA, uh, about one-third of UPS's fleet about 30,000 package cars will be replaced with cars with AC during the five years of this agreement. And the uh, deployment of the new cars will be uh, specifically weighted towards the hotter parts of the country. So like cars in Texas are going to get replaced before cars in Montana because you're dealing with a lot more of the extreme heat there. And for that will start happening at the beginning of 2024. All cars will get one fa- one fan for the driver within 30 days, I believe, and then within 18 months they will get a second fan. And all package cars will be equipped with uh, like induction vents to allow for air circulation in the package car to drop temperatures, which can sometimes get now get to 135 degrees. So this starts the 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 path forward to replace every car eventually. Uh, with a car with AC. And that's something workers have also been fighting for for a very long time. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that that's, there's definitely, uh, it's it's not quite the the way that it was hyped up, I think, initially. I mean, it's still very good. I'm very happy about that. Starting in 2024, I mean, is UPS going to buy a bunch of trucks like this year? I don't know. Well, they, I mean, they, so they go through, I mean, they use their trucks, so they go uh-huh. through them. They, they, they go through trucks on attrition anyway. Um, so I, I mean, I think, you know, the, the rate at which they do them could be debated, but it also takes time to, to retrofit cars with stuff like this. So, hmm. uh, I mean, I, I think considering that workers have been fighting to, to force them to put AC in cars at all for decades, mm-hmm. uh, like winning it in this one, even if maybe there's questions about the pace i think is is a is a big win also with the trucks yeah another one for for package car drivers less surveillance that's been a big one because like amazon like so many companies uh you know ups has been trying to put driver facing cameras in all of their cars which are just used to harass drivers and make their days fucking nightmare um this deal bans that um, in, and any cameras that have already been installed are required to be disabled and explicitly bans the use of any interior camera whatsoever for any kind of driver discipline. Exterior cameras are allowed, but they are to be used for like safety evaluations. I believe it says in there that unless, except in the event of an accident, that they can't be used for discipline, I believe. Um, Let's see, rolling down some of the other items, uh, more time for work for workers. The deal eliminates forced overtime for drivers on their days off, which has been something that they have had, unfortunately, going forward. Uh, but now it won't. Uh, it also gives all workers Martin Luther King Day as a holiday for the first time, which is another one of those ones that I'm always like, how... Did the go- how is that did not just imposed on UPS mm-hmm. like, when, by the government? When Sean that was sucks. announcing that one in one of his uh, one of his press or I don't know maybe it was a, it was one of his speeches he was saying that previously they said that it wasn't even possible to get MLK Day. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> wild to me how hard the company like fought for that. Like it's I'm like. Is it, is it specifically because it's MLK Day? Is it is it like racism on top of just the, all the other stuff like? I don't know, but but now finally workers do have MLK Day as a holiday for the first time. 
what some of the other gains, there are new restrictions in the use of subcontracting by UPS. One of the things UPS has been trying to do to cut labor costs is subcontract out feeder driving, which is the freight trucks that deliver giant, you know, trailers full of packages between the hubs before they get sorted and, and dropped off into the package cars. Uh, so they've been trying to subcontract that work. This, the new deal contains language that prevents UPS from outsourcing or subcontracting any feeder driver work as long as union drivers are available to perform it, even if those drivers are on layoff. Because I guess UPS was trying to do this thing where they would put workers on layoff, not like fired, they're on like furlough, mm-hmm. and then hire temps to do the same thing. Yeah, and so now they, if someone is on uh, layoff, they are actually offered the position yes. to come back in for that mm-hmm. work. Yep, exactly. There is also language about the use of personal vehicles, but I have seen, I have to admit, I have seen back and forth information on that one, so I'm not particularly comfortable reporting the details without being 100% certain on them. So that area is a little murky because basically the company has been trying to get people to do like, a gig work delivering uh, a few packages like in their personal vehicle during uh, like the holiday surge. And so there's attempts in this to restrict that. Mm. Um, but I've, I've seen arguments in every direction on there. So I'm not going to get into the details on that one on something I'm not a hundred percent sure on. Um, and then this one I say for last, cause I think this one is really important and hasn't necessarily been getting as much discussion, even though I think it should, because this deal requires UPS to create 7,500 new full-time inside positions by merging part-time positions together, which creates a pathway for the first time for thousands of part-timers who have long wanted full-time status, but have just had no pathway to get it. And so this job creates that for 7,500 people. And it also has notably new strong uh, language in here, actually like forcing UPS to create those jobs because I, I guess from reading the Labor Notes article, in the past there have been attempts to make these where it's like we need 10,000 new jobs and then UPS is able to use loopholes to be like, Actually, what that meant was 2,000 jobs. Mm. And so this one, I guess, you know, according to Labor Notes analysis, they really tried to like belt and suspenders this thing. Like, no, motherfuckers, you have to make 7,500 new jobs, not some fake number. You actually have to create these jobs. So that, I think, is a big one. And all of that put together, I know that was long-winded, but this is a huge contract. I think those are historic wins, and I don't think they should be minimized because, like, getting AC for the first time, ending the two-tier for package car drivers, reclaiming $30 billion of the $100 billion in profits over the last few years, stolen from workers by UPS, and putting it back into resources for them. All of these wins, you know, again, whether the contract is approved or not, because that's the thing. Ultimately, only the rank and file is going to decide whether they think that this deal is good enough. Regardless of which way they go, the fact that the the union was able to force the company to agree to these wins shows exactly how powerful, you know, the workers at UPS are. None of those would have been agreed to without a fight. And it is, it's only been through the organizing for like a year at this point that the Teamsters have been doing the practice pickets that the rank and file have been putting on that UPS was forced to agree to these. It's really hard to overstate the significance of the practice pickets, I think, in Mm -hmm. particular, because that kind of like physical display of mobilization, you you saw a really stark before and after uh, attitude change in the way that UPS approached this uh, before and after the practice pickets. 
Yeah. Also, yeah. in the way that the membership themselves felt about their union, I mean, you True. could see some. If you saw like people just talking out on the in front of the loading dock or like way out, just out in front of the buildings, it was people being like, "Oh, what was it like before?" Well, you know, it was kind of him and Han, you know, this or that. But now I feel like I'm actually part of this now, and that that was really really good to see. Yeah, like my my you know my my party branch here in in Providence has been supporting our local teamsters on their practice pickets and, you know, talking with workers, drivers, part-timers, everybody. And yeah, that was pretty much the universal feel of everybody that we talked to out there was that like, you know, the, the folks were all at different level. They were at different levels of engagement before the practice pickets, but everybody was just like, this has been great. I get to talk to people I don't always see. And like, we're all on the same page on this and it fucking rules. Like, I think a big part of it was just, it's like everybody getting together and basically be like, fuck UPS. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like that alone is, is a really, is, is really good for building that, that militancy. So now we've gone through that, but I, I do think that it, it, you know, we have to also talk about areas that workers have identified. Some folks have pointed to certain parts of the contract that, that they felt could have, have, have gone a little farther. I, I think, you know, I've seen a lot of folks, even folks who are very critical of the contract who have been like, yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff in this contract, but there are items that, you know, we think we could have gone farther on. And so there, uh, uh, to address a few of those, um, one of them, and this is why I was, you know, hemming and hawing so much on the raises thing, because that's one of the areas that people have identified. And a big part of that is because of these things called market rate adjustments, which exist for part-time workers, basically in bigger cities that have higher cost of living and more competition for that level of waged work. There are certain UPS locations, depending on where they're located, who will pay what are called market rate adjustments, basically like an increase to the standard starting part-time wage so that UPS can actually attract people to do that work. Now, the current TA leaves those, those market rate adjustments in place, so it's not, in any, it's not like taking them away from workers that currently have them, but it, has, it also doesn't specifically require UPS to apply them exactly the same way they've been applying them now, which has created a lot of question marks for some workers who are currently operating under those MRAs because, and again, this is not like the, it, 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 that's one of the things that's difficult here is because it leaves it to UPS's discretion, we don't know exactly what would happen with it. So there are, are, are some folks who maybe they're making $21 or just about $21 right now who if they keep their market rate adjustment and then they get the raise, well, now they'll be making, say, $23 an hour. And the question is, is that what's going to happen? So that's an area where, where I've seen some folks say there really needs to be more clarity there to like force UPS to, to, in, to enforce the current MRAs. The other issue that I've seen folks raise, and this one is, it's interesting. Like it's a, I think it's a, a good point to raise, but it's also a kind of a semi-unique situation because folks have pointed out that the new contract eliminates a two-tier par- uh, system for drivers, but it kind of creates one for part-timers. Because under the new deal, new part-timers will start out at $21, which is 30% higher than the current starting wages, which is great. But that the new part-timers will not catch up to current part-timers' wages quite by the end of the deal. Both groups of of part-timers, new hires and current ones, will see far better wages than currently are allowed the contract. So it's, it's wins for both sides there. But it does look like this creates two distinct wage groups. Now, they're pretty close 
And it's the sort of thing like, you know, by the end of the five-year deal, everybody's up to at least $23 an hour. And now maybe in the next deal, you fight for, you know, $30 an hour uh, or whatever the, the next Teamster contract is going to be. But there's questions about like, is that, you know, creating another situation where we're going to have workers doing the same work, but with different pay rates. So, and, and so the, those two issues, as well as what I've seen, you know, some folks just have said like, look, we were, we wanted to fight for the, the part-timers to get $25 an hour as their starting wage, not 21 and then going up to 23 by the end of the deal. So those are the, the issues that I've primarily seen folks who are, 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 and when I say folks here, I'm specifically talking about Teamsters, like mm-hmm. UPS Teamsters, because I don't really give a shit what journalists think about this contract. Their opinion on this is irrelevant. But the, I care about what the Teamsters think about it because this is their their contract. It's their job. And so the folks that the, – the Teamsters who I've seen, you know, make critiques of the deal, that's where I've primarily seen them. But even on the folks who have said, look, I'm going to vote no because I think, you know, we could have done better, have been like, but there's some great stuff in here and I understand why people would vote yes. So like, well, And also I think that that's not an unreasonable position because – the the membership's ready to strike and they are unified and you know if they have to strike they're gonna do a good job yeah but and i i think you can also argue they already have <laughs> like i mean like regardless of how this goes if, if it's accepted or if it goes to a strike and they win a different deal like the end result is that the workers have already demonstrated an absolutely enormous amount of power like because right. like the seeing the practice pickets in Hawaii, in fucking Alaska, in Maine, in 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 every state across the country, and seeing all of the other workers who came out to those practice pickets to see the Teamsters standing together and intimidating one of the biggest companies in the country and scaring them into coming back to the negotiating table on that last week because of exactly how powerful those practice pickets were. Like that, to me, that is like almost the biggest takeaway from this is that A, uh, you know, labor's back. (laughs) But uh, also B, more importantly, you know, I think that the Teamsters have really hit on a really good tactic here with that as a way to not only boost you know, the readiness and unity for that strike as itself, which it certainly did, but also as a means of community engagement, of a means of blending struggles, like between different workplaces, between different unions. And that is something that I think, you know, the preparation for this strike has been incredible. And I think that we can't, you know, know, the leadership has mentioned this, we can't ignore the impact that such a deal, whether it's signed now or whether it's signed following a strike if it was to be rejected, on groups of workers doing very similar work to what the workers do at UPS at Amazon. Uh, Because, you know, I think that by demonstrating, you know, that workers who do warehouse work can win a good wage and can win the sorts of benefits that UPS Teamsters have and can push a, a giant corporation around if there's enough workers coming together, that to me is, I think, like, so important to take away from this and and when I say regardless of which way the workers vote, I don't mean to trivialize that. But what I really mean to, to emphasize is that, like, what I think of the contract doesn't matter. It's what they think. The Only the rank and file gets to decide if the contract's good enough. And whichever way they go on that, that's, you know, kind of the beauty of union democracy. We're behind them 100%. Like, if they agree to the deal, great. A ton of amazing wins. Let's Go talk to Amazon workers about how they need to, you know, the st- sorts of things that they can win. 
if they vote no and they decide to go out on strike, we'll be right there with them just like we would have been on August 1st. So, you know, I, I, I think that that is actually something that is what I am trying to emphasize to people who are not Teamsters. <laughs> like when I talk to them about this strike, about the TA, is that it's like, this is the sort of thing, like the, the differences between the, you know, tiers and the, or the, like the different wage rates, like that's for the, the folks at UPS. They're the only ones who can decide whether that's good. But from the perspective of labor as a whole across this country, th- this contract, whichever, whatever version we end up with, like this is the best example that you can show to somebody concretely, not just abstractly, not when labor, not, you know, like, platitudes and all this other stuff they're like this is what you can win this money specifically (laughs) this money these benefits this time all this stuff even when you are working in one of the most abused jobs in the country in an amazon warehouse and that to me is extremely important yeah and i think that that it's because of their unity it's the it's because they were able to show power yeah a hundred percent and so i i mean this i don't know I'm just, I would just like to quote briefly the, the statement that uh, the Party for Socialism and Liberation put out, uh, not just to, to plug the party, but also because I think it's good analysis. <laughs> I think that the, the party has done some of the, the, the better analysis on this, but they, they put out a statement that I think has some really important stuff in it. And, and just to, to read from it here a little bit, quote, workers have landed a powerful blow against UPS. The company will, of course, try to find ways to fight back and claw back what has been won. The profit motive of this capitalist system demands that they do so. That reality does not lessen the scale of this historic victory. It just means that the struggle must continue. Building the ranks of organized labor grows the strength, leadership, and overall fighting capacity of the working class as a whole. Doing so puts us in a better position to fight for the things that no union contract or other types of reform can satisfy. It puts us in a better position to fight against the capitalist system that values profits over human needs and to replace it with socialism, a system which the workers who make the world run actually run the world, end quote. That's right. Well, with that nice little bow on that story, we got to keep talking about the Teamsters and Mm -hmm. as Dan was alluding to, Amazon. So the Teamsters have deployed a nationwide flying squadron system to protest Amazon's refusal to recognize the union of drivers in Palmdale, California, that expanded yet again, this time to Atlanta. On Wednesday, July 26, workers from Battle Tested Strategies, which we've talked about many times before, the first Amazon uh, DSP or uh, delivery service partner, I believe is what mm-hmm. that is, uh, who unionized. They're picketed outside the ALT6 facility in Atlanta, calling on the company to cease its unfair labor practices. In a statement from the union, they said, quote, the growing strike will continue until Amazon reinstates the unlawfully terminated Palmdale employees, recognizes the Teamsters, respects the contract nego- negotiated by the workers, and bargains with the Teamsters union to address low pay and dangerous work conditions, end quote. 
Tom Culver, one of the Palmdale drivers who uh, traveled to Atlanta for the picket, said, quote, we have the same job as the other package delivery drivers, but Amazon pays us half as much, end quote. And as part of this picket action, drivers met up with workers at the ALT6 uh, warehouse and issued a joint statement demanding Amazon resolve atrocious working conditions at the warehouse. Uh, This will now be the 10th Amazon site nationwide that the Teamsters have picketed, including sites in California, Michigan, Massachusetts, and now Georgia. I I love this tactic. I think this tactic is so cool. Uh, And it's another one of those things. Like this, I mean, this is kind of, it's it's like a merging of the the flying squadron tactic and the practice picket tactic. Because it's not practicing. They are on strike, Mm -hmm. but they're going all over the country to do it. And by doing so exactly like, you know, like you pointed out, they're not just showing up to these places and picketing. They're showing up and talking with all the other Amazon workers. They're organizing. About, exactly. This is like both a picket against the company and a great way to organize workers. Like, which of course, you know, picketing always is that, I guess. But like, this, this is a I bit think more is, explicitly, the, <laughs> like with that intent. Yeah. Yes. And the other thing, though, that I love about it, too, is that, you know, one of those issues that we hit on so much on this show and has been a a running theme about the bullshit that is U.S. labor law is the misclassification of drivers Mm -hmm. like that of, of workers just generally as independent contractors. And this sort of thing puts that like front and center. It puts it in front of the media. It makes more people aware of it. So, like, this is it, – it's building awareness nationally. It's building awareness specifically amongst all Amazon workers. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, bringing workers who have unionized with the Teamsters together with unorganized Amazon workers. Like, I love this tactic. Uh, I think it's great. And uh, I think that it's one of the things, you know, that, that a, a union like the Teamsters, which has a, over a million members and has all those resources, is able to bring to the table. And, and, and you know, for a company like Amazon, we need all the resources, all the unions, everybody who wants to get involved. <laughs> like, because, you know, it's, it's so many people. It's such a big company. Like, it, any tactic, any resources we can throw at it are going to help. And this one, I think, is this tactic specifically – I think it helps you check so many boxes at once that it's like, mm-hmm. I, I think it's one of the better, more innovative tactics that I, I've seen, you know, in the last couple of years. Absolutely. And it builds the kind of solidarity between, you know, members of all parts of the like logistics work landscape. That is what we eventually need to get towards something that I don't know, next 20, 30 years, maybe sector wide bargaining. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Well, it, yeah, I mean, that's the sort of thing, because it's like, you know, we're talking about Amazon, but like, fuck it, let's unionize FedEx, too, yeah. and DHL. Let's have every single delivery driver be in a union. Yeah, yeah if you I move mean, a box, you're a Teamster. Like, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I guess while we're talking about Amazon, we also have to kind of talk about a, a news article that came out from CBS News uh, this past week that... I mean, it won't surprise our listeners at all that Amazon, a company that has an injury occurrence, double that of comparable warehouses, doesn't give a damn about disabled workers. But uh, one thing that might come as a surprise is that Amazon is rated, quote, best place to work for disability inclusion, end quote. Uh, Press X to doubt. (laughs) Right? Uh, This rating comes from the Disability Equity Index, a project of an NGO called Disability In, which is formerly a 
uh, NGO called U.S. Business Leadership Network. Suddenly, mm. they care about disabled people. This obviously, this is just designed to launder the reputations of massive businesses towards a positive view instead of a real one. They actually tout about how they basically only rate giant companies. Uh, so, I mean, it's just. Yeah, we're going to change. I'm just imagining, we're gonna, just like showing up to a government office. Hey, our organization is changing its name. Oh, okay, what's your organization? We're the U.S. Business Leadership Network. Okay, what are you changing it to? Like the Business Leadership Council, like the business, uh, you know, trade group. Associated Business Leaders of America. Right. <laughs> uh, no, we, we are uh, disability in. <laughs> like, it's just... It's so obvious just from that alone that this is bullshit, that they are not actually, they don't actually give a shit about disabled workers. Yeah. And their rating system seems arbitrary and poor. Like, the, it's really like, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I went over it and it seemed kind of uh, incredibly questionable to me. But it sounds like they're copying their homework from a certain Perry Johnson. Who's that? <laughs> That's a. Look him up. I remember from last time when you were telling us about that dude. He's a scary motherfucker who is like a Michigan billionaire whose company basically makes certification materials for various industries, and it's all just made up out of whole cloth. It's a scam. He runs a scam uh, business. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, I mean, if we look at the actual conditions of disabled workers and what they face, they're uh, a lot close, closer to how Amazon deals with union demands. Uh, they stall. They have non-existent or inadequate processes to fix issues, and they fire those who make demands on the company and make workers' lives uh, worse always, uh, or, or, and any demands that the workers would have to make their own lives better. As reported by CBS News, Lenita Hammonds, an Amazon employee from Little Rock, Arkansas, said that she suffered multiple physical health issues and asked if she could take a break or sit in a chair occasionally throughout the day due to her pain. Her doctor had recommended that she use a walker during work. And after asking for these accommodations, Hammonds was placed on short-term leave instead. She told reporters, quote, It felt like I was being targeted because I needed accommodations. I got placed on short-term disability leave, and that was extended because they refused to accept my doctor's prescription for me to be on a walker, end quote. And this is just one example of many because the article like like talks to a lot of different disabled folks about this um and then we also have a quote from an attorney at the center for public or for popular democracy frank curl who said that uh the who described the conditions as he understood them from working with people like this that quote the company is designed specifically to exclude individuals with disabilities and churn through them so they no longer stay employed at amazon end quote uh, he said that even if workers get doctor's notes, that they are ignored by management because no one holds them accountable. And for many, I mean, this process of trying to get in accommodations is basically never ending uh, mm -hmm. or is ended as soon as the company decides to remove the worker. So, I mean, the parallels there to how they treat union uh, organizers and disabled folks is very honest face is they get rid of them. They don't have any respect for people. They don't care about their workers. They're willing to hurt them at unprecedented rates and they don't give a fuck. Well, it, yeah, I mean, the whole thing, it, it, I mean, it reminds me of when we were talking with uh, Nate Holdren about the book that he wrote, you know, about the development of workers' comp and the transition from injury impoverished. Systems. 
Right. Great book. People should uh, check it out. Uh, <laughs> but the thing that it makes me think of, though, is, you know, one of the things that became very popular was the compulsory medical examination for employment. And they used to just be like, oh, this person has XYZ disability. Nope, you can't be hired. Now, of course, you know, people be like, they can't do that now. You can't discriminate. Wrong. You just have to jump through more hoops. That's all it is. You just have to pretend like you are, uh, you know, being accommodating and pay some bullshit business leadership network to certify you as a great place to work. And then you just get to do this bullshit and and force people out just like you would if you had a compulsory examination. Yeah. I mean, it reminded me so much of the the Starbucks uh, situation where they claim to be like very pro-trans and suddenly they're threatening Mm -hmm. trans workers. I mean, when I was working there, people got dead named constantly. The the fucking manager dead named people in a public bulletin. I mean, like, uh, it's absolutely just on its face a lie. Like, they just put out a couple little benefits or a couple little pieces of word, and they trick people into thinking, hey, I might be safe here. But as we have, you know, as we know by analyzing the capitalist system, we aren't safe. They don't care about us. They're ready to uh, throw us to surplus as soon as they have used us up. That's right. But, well, you know... Fuck Amazon and their continued abuse of their workers, uh, especially clearly their disabled workers. The places where you can feel safe at work, the only places really, are the places that are organized. And so we've got a couple of stories to end off our list this week, just going through a few happier stories, uh, you know, where we've got places where workers have now successfully unionized. So one of the first ones we want to just talk about real quick because Obviously, we've talked about the Starbucks Workers United campaign on this show a whole lot. It rules. It's been super inspirational. And one of the ways that it's been inspirational is not just the organizing of about 350 Starbucks locations around the country, but also the way that they have inspired workers at other uh, cafe stores around the country to unionize as well. And so this week, we were really excited to see that three locations of a local chain called Pete's Coffee in the Berkeley and Oakland area, you know, over, over in the, the the Bay Area, have voted to unionize with the IWW, uh, joining the recent wave of cafe workers who have been organizing in the last couple of years. Uh, the three stores, Pete's Southside, Temescal and Piedmont Avenue locations uh, join the first Pete's location to unionize uh, a store in North Davis, California that voted 14 to one to unionize with the SEIU back in January. Now the South side and Temescal locations voted unanimously to join the IWW, but the Piedmont Ave location was a nail biter with the union taking a eight to seven, one vote victory. <laughs> Uh, And in total, the votes will uh, bring these three stores with 52 new workers into the union movement. And so workers uh, described why they, they, you know, they decided to fight for unionization. They said that they get constant harassment from customers, especially the uh, women baristas, which does not surprise me at all, unfortunately. Um, They say angry customers have thrown hot water on workers and one even hurled luggage at a worker. And yet at no point were these outrageous actions like actually responded to by the company uh, to actually protect the workers. So the workers decided to come together and protect themselves. 
And, and so they now plan to bargain for protections directly now that they have a union and for policies to ban violent or harassing customers from the store, which it is just absolutely ludicrous to me that those policies don't already exist. I mean, like they don't. There was when I worked at Starbucks, there was harassment that went on and it took like five or six very blatant in instances of sexual harassment to get someone banned from a store. And it was only one person that that ever happened to. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah, it's ridiculous. And so, you know, good for these workers for getting a, a union to help deal with that. And so. Uh, another thing, this is another very common issue that we, we see with workers in this in this industry, is fighting for uh, securing sufficient hours for workers to qualify for benefits. Because currently at Pete's, workers have to work at least 21 hours a week to get benefits. But even when workers want to work more hours, they are not scheduled. We see this all the time. Companies love to do that shit where it's like, you get benefits as long as you work 21 hours. Uh, We have scheduled you for 20 hours. No, we will not give you any more time. Uh, Like, they love to do that shit. Classic. They also hope to win a higher starting wage than the current $18 city minimum wage. And really, the pizza employees have already seen some of the benefits of their union because as soon as they announce their union drive, it, like managers rush to try to fix long-standing issues that had been sitting out there for a long time. And now the workers are going to get to fight to enshrine those fixes permanently in a first contract. That's right. And so uh, also just did want to point out just real quick, the specific uh, local is IWWIU460 is the group which represents these Pete's workers, which has also recently won other representation elections in the Bay Area, including at Moe's Books and the salvage store Urban Ore. So shout out to these now unionized workers. It's great to see the IWW doing some real organizing. There was a bit of a lull for quite a while there. And then just to round out real quick, folks, we got one of the biggest bargaining units of the year. Uh, Surprisingly, it kind of just came out of nowhere because obviously, you know, we had all the discussion uh, this week was very dominated by the agreement at UPS, the tentative agreement at UPS and discussions about that. But we got a unit of 5,000 new workers recognized this past week as a, a, a as new union members. When on Tuesday, July 25th, IATSE announced that 5,000 freelance production workers in the TV commercial industry had cleared a card check election overseen by an independent mo- monitor, which officially makes them now part of of IATSE and forming one of the biggest single election wins of 2023 so far. These workers had formed an organizing group called Stand With Production to bring attention to their low pay, long hours, lack of training, lack of benefits, and so many other aspects of their work which lag behind the conditions won by unionized production workers. And so, you know, of course, our listeners may know that many of the so-called behind-the-camera positions on TV, uh, commercial production, have been unionized for years. Art directors, costume designers, set designers, hair and makeup, all that sort of stuff. They've long been members of IATSE. But workers in the, in the like, like, producers in the production department have traditionally been left out. And the lack of benefits and job security have reflected that. So workers came together with this organization, Stand With Production, like so many in the U.S., Around the beginning of the COVID pandemic, they developed proposed safety requirements for production companies to adopt to keep workers safe in the fall of 2021, gathering thousands of signatures in support. And then 
Upon partnering with IATSE, they pressed for recognition, and the studios agreed to an independently monitored card check, which the workers overwhelmingly won this week and will now have a chance to fight for those union benefits that the rest of their IATSE comrades have won with their first contract. So congratulations to all of these workers. Hell yeah. And congratulations to you, dear listener, for making it all the way through our stories and to the meme review. But yeah, so diving right into the meme review, we've got our first one here, folks. I just like this one mostly because it's shitting on SNL, I will admit. <laughs> I I can go for a cheap jab at SNL, but it's also celebrating the great wins that have been brought to us by the writer's strike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's we've got the classic... Uh, you know, meme image of you've got the soldier kneeling in front of a sleeping child, protecting them from just a hail of knives and bullets and all this other stuff. It's also on fire for some reason. <laughs> and all of that, he's all the incoming fire is labeled SNL skit about Barbie Heimer. <laughs> SNL skit about Ocean Gate, weekly SNL skit about Twitter and Elon Musk, SNL skit about Colleen Ballinger, who I don't know who that is, but, <laughs> and then the guy is just labeled writer strike. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that the writer strike swooped in to protect us from these things, but I do also want to let people on the internet know that you don't have to watch and comment on Saturday Night Live because it is no longer the early 90s when that was considered <laughs> necessary cultural reading to be able to have a water cooler conversation the next Monday. <laughs> that is true. However, I will say that the social media has made it far easier to make people involuntarily watch Saturday Night mm-hmm. Live. Oh, the only thing I ever want to see from Saturday Night Live ever again is, ladies and gentlemen, The weekend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is such a useful meme. It really is. <laughs> Uh, speaking of useful memes, our next one is... Uh, do you know what game this is from, by the way? It looks I, like this a is, Dark Souls? This is either from... It, no, it's either from Skyrim or Oblivion. It's, it's an one Elder of the Scrolls game, game, though? Okay. Yeah. yeah. We have an Elder Scrolls enemy who is like a, a goblin-looking-ass guy with like uh, shin guards and a bunch of weird ropes tied around his arms and legs instead of clothes. And He's like super pale and yeah, he yeah. looks like a weird, you know, mountain troll. Eyes guy. drooping down. Yeah. He looks like he was summoned out of a volcano by like an evil overlord <laughs> yes. or something. And uh, it says under it, quote, nah, man, night shift is pretty easy. Derek, age 24. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the thing. It's like, this is not making fun of people who work night shift. It is making fun of the, this is a very specific type of guy who everyone has met. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> I, and like I, I know there's people who are like, oh yeah, I'm definitely like a night person. It's like, were you always a night person? Oh well, no. I mean, that was the shifts that I was given. Oh, and wait, you also have sleeping issues now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who could have guessed? But anyways, pay people on the third shift more. Um. That's right. That's right. <laughs> then uh, this next one is a Mick Comrades meme, I guess. Because uh, that's what the the McDonald's logo in the bottom right hand corner says. Hell yeah! And uh, it's got the Hamburglar with a handgun at the bottom of it. The uh, text on this is Patriots. I don't know why the Hamburglar has a gun. This <laughs> he's not doing anything with it to more effectively steal hamburgers. <laughs> I, I yeah, I suppose. <laughs> 
uh, it says patriotism towards the United States, where United States is in, uh, you know, you know, uh, U.S. flag font, and then it's is, like patriotic 3D comic scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is treason <laughs> with like dripping fiery blood font uh, is treason against the rest of the planet Earth. Hell and, yeah, um, yeah, fuck, fuck America. Yeah, worst country, <laughs> worst country. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> a lot of people That's think right. that the worst country is some poor country and they because they're, you know, racist or they saw it on TV or something. But I'm here to tell you the worst country is the richest country on earth. <laughs> That's correct, folks. Um I think it's also funny because like the that phrasing I think is like a direct inversion of there's another phrase that I've heard. It's like uh, treason to whiteness is loyalty to humanity or something like that. Hell yeah. That I've seen Treason yeah, to bad um, thing is loyalty to good thing. Usually right. true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's like literally almost n- like the same meme in a different format. Yeah. yeah. This one is just basically the same idea. You've got your trolley problem here. Classic trolley problem. And the trolley is going towards uh, just the earth. There's the, none of the, there's no people like on this one. You've just got the trolley is burying, barreling towards the thing. And you, you've got two options. You've got the trolley can hit the earth and wipe out the one habitable biosphere. And, or on the other, you can switch it and the other track. But if you do that, the trolley will hit 2,700 billionaires. Mm. And the problem with this meme is that the trolley problem is supposed to be hard. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a very easy. <laughs> solution well, I like in how, fact i would say like a no-brainer i like how it lays it all out in front of you you know trolley problem <laughs> memes are truly goaded when making decisions is the vibe <laughs> <laughs> that's right uh, um, and then for our last meme we have a uh is this a linkedin post yeah, it's it, so. This one is it, it's not a very visually exciting. It's it's ju- it's a meme version of a LinkedIn post. Yeah. But people on LinkedIn are bizarre and need to be made fun of. And so I very much appreciated that. That's what this was doing. There, yeah, the websites that give you the worst brain diseases are definitely LinkedIn, Quora, and Reddit. But um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so this LinkedIn post is from Blake Thompson, partner at Vendito, co-founder of dot dot dot. Uh, it just trails off, and he says, "I just turned 30." And I'm worth $19 million. Here's how I got there, parentheses not to brag, but to hopefully inspire you to get there too. Also, not to brag is in parentheses, so you can't refer to it outside of the parenthetical, which he just did. The structure of that makes no fucking sense. Anyway, here's his bullet list. I woke up at 4 a.m. every morning for six years straight, started a recruitment agency, took two cold showers per day, invested in Bitcoin at 59K, engaged with all walks of life. You never know what you'll learn. Inherited $22 million from my parents. Post high value content on LinkedIn. (laughs) Consistency is key. Execute, execute, execute. And even glossing over the glaring inherited $22 million from my parents, which apparently he only has 19 million of left now. Uh, (laughs) Even going over all of that, none of the verbs in his bullet point list agree tense wise. And some of those sentences are mandates. (laughs) And some of the sentences are just lists of things he did in the past. And frankly, I've seen a lot of uh, incoherent shit on the internet in my life, but this kind of looks like it was written by chat GPT. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, my my favorite part though, as you pointed out in this bit, is it's not the you know slipped in. Oh, I inherited all my money mm-hmm. because you know that's the obvious punchline. It's the fact that the inherited money is more than what he's worth now. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good because it's so accurate. Yeah, yeah, and then he caps it off. If I can do it, you can do it too. Make sure to follow me for more financial advice. Yeah, man, <laughs> I'll be sure to follow your ass. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Never listen to anyone on LinkedIn is really the uh, the moral of the story here, kids. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Well, and if you'd like to follow us, you can go to workstoppagepod.com because I actually just updated all the links. You know, I was telling everyone that they could go there for all the links, but for like two or three weeks, that was only partially true. But I mm. did today update all the links so you can find all the Twitters and Blue Skies and all that stuff at workstoppagepod.com. And if you'd like to support our show as an entirely listener-supported show, go to patreon.com slash workstoppage and get all of our amazing overtime content. It's all worth listening to. You can actually find like stuff as far back as like years ago. There's so many episodes. Uh, you can also write us a review. We really appreciate that. And I guess uh, listen to Beep Beep Lettuce, listen to Red Game Table, and as always, labor peace is not in our interest. And solidarity forever. Solidarity. Solidarity, everybody. Let all them hounds off of the leashes. Gave all that money to the rich. They're gonna hand you down now that short hand shovel and direct you directly to the ditch. Now just hear them talking tongues, child. Though you know now what they mean. Ain't gonna make no kind of difference. Just keep your eyes focused on the screen. Yes, I guess I see. They ain't doing nothing here but leeching off for you and me. Well, Yes, I guess I know There ain't no place left on this earth That I could call my own And yes, I hope I see The day we all wake up And stop them ships upon the sea Well, hallelujah Let it all just burn Cause they ain't the type of listening And they sure ain't never gonna learn
living here but living all for you and me well yes i guess i know there ain't no place left on this earth that i could call my own and yes i hope i see the day we all wake up and stop them ships upon the sea well Let it all just burn Cause they ain't the type of listening And they sure ain't never gonna learn Listening, and they sure ain't never gonna learn. 